Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. He proved his divine authority as God to forgive sins. This wasn't about the healing. This was about his ability and his authority to forgive sins. And they were right. Only God could forgive sins. And he just did it. And he just backed it up. Checkmate. Checkmate. He just caught them in their own, their own reasoning. Don't you just love when, when Jesus does this and you find that in the Bible where he just, you know, Jesus is a man who just, as he walked the earth, he, he, he didn't have a lot of words. You know, I'm sure he said more than we have recorded in the scriptures, but, but we have no reason to believe that the way he responded was different than what we have recorded in the scriptures in any other circumstance. You know, and, and, and he didn't, he didn't do things with a, a ton of words. He just listened. He perceived what was going on. And he responded in a way that would catch men in their own traps, in their own words, and to turn the tables on him. And and it definitely here sent the message that he intended to send to these guys, because Luke tells us that they were all amazed. And I know they're talking about the crowds, but it's also talking about these, these Pharisees and these scribes. They were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. And they most certainly did. You know, I like how David Guzik in his commentary sums up this episode. He said this, imagine if Jesus had failed. Imagine if he'd failed. His ministry would have been shattered. The crowd would have slowly made their way out of the house. The scribes would have smiled and said, he can't heal, nor can he forgive. The four men would struggle to pull up the paralyzed man who looked more dejected and embarrassed than ever. The homeowner would have looked at his roof and, and thought it was all for nothing and knew the insurance wasn't going to pay for it, right? Oy vey. But Jesus didn't fail. And, and he could not fail because all he needed to heal this man was his word. Just his simple word. There's, there's wonderful healing power in the word of Jesus, in the promises of Jesus for those who come to him in faith. The man came to Jesus in faith, even if it was on the borrowed faith of his friends. And in the process, that man not only got healed, he had his sins forgiven, and Jesus was going to truly be able to use him to glorify God. Because even though it tells us here, this man left glorifying God, in reality, the glorifying God was taking pres- a place right there in the presence of all those crowds that had gathered, not just amongst those who had gathered from the normal way of life, but for these Pharisees, for these scribes who were doubting Jesus. And Jesus just put the period, the exclamation point on the end of the sentence is who he really is and what he could do. But even more than that, of what we truly need that he could only meet for us that need. And as for these religious leaders, yep, they saw things that should have completely changed their view of Jesus. And and it possibly did with some of them. You know, we always talk negatively about the Pharisees, but we know as we look at the Gospels that there are some who believed. 
You know, we know that. There are some of the Pharisees who believed in Jesus. They were closet believers because they were afraid in a lot of cases of what would happen if they expressed that belief. But, but some of them believed. But for, for the most part, we know that the vast majority never put faith in Jesus, never believed who he was. In fact, were responsible for putting him on the cross. Even though they're amazed by Jesus, amazed at what just happened, that amazement didn't result in any significant change in their lives and in their view of him whatsoever. You know, I, I just, as I think about that, I think about how true that is to people today. How true that is. For many people today, Jesus continues to reveal himself to people in so many powerful ways. You know, one of the, the greatest ways that, that, that Jesus reveals himself is through the changed lives of those of us who placed our faith in him. You know, I don't know about you, but I've had people, you know, from my, my, my high school years, people who knew me when, back when, who, who look now and say, I, I don't know you. What happened to you? Along the way, what happened to you? What an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And yet so many will see that, that miraculous healing of your life, how Jesus has changed you. And they might be astonished by it. They might be amazed by it, but it never really changes their view of who he really is. They never let it change their view of who he really is. I, I pray that this is not the case with you listening this morning, and even for us as believers, you know, that this would not be the case with us because Jesus continues to reveal himself to us. <laughs> and, and our lives should just be continually changing the more we see of him, letting that impact our hearts. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the Pharisees. Be like those whose lives were touched and changed forever, like the disciples. And, and we assume this man who was healed. We'll look on in verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. So as Jesus moves on, he, he now comes across this man by the name of Levi, and Luke simply tells us that he makes this invitation to Levi to follow him. But Levi is, of course, um, the man that we've come to know in, in the English as we think of it as Matthew, right? We relate to this man as Matthew. Levi is simply his Hebrew name, and Matthew is the Greek rendering of his name. And in his own gospel, in his own gospel account of this event, Matthew identifies himself by his Greek name rather than by his Hebrew name. And so I'm going to interchangeably use them. Forgive me, but we're talking about the same one. Levi is here in our text, but it's Matthew. And, and really what's more important than who this is, is what he is. He's a tax collector. He's a tax collector. Now, we talked about this back at the beginning of our study when we were dealing with John the Baptist, but being a tax collector in Israel in that day was not a reputable profession. You know, it was not a reputable profession. In fact, tax collectors were some of the most hated people in all of Israel, and, and the profession itself was looked down upon by Jews. And not simply because of the fact that people didn't like paying taxes. None of us like paying taxes, Right. But, but because of what they represented and because of the way that they did it. You know, first of all, they were despised because they were Jews who represented Rome. 
they represented Rome. The Romans taxed by auctioning the rights to collect taxes to the highest bidder for that position. And in that regard, people saw them as selling themselves to Rome to, 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 to get a profit for themselves, to make a profit for themselves, to get position and authority and, and favor with Rome in order to make a profit for themselves. And they bought that privileged position to collect taxes. And in that process, they were seen as turncoats, as traitors to the people in their own nation. Secondly, they were also despised because they were notoriously dishonest. That, that's just a fact. In order to, to make it a profit for themselves, they added a margin to the tax being collected, which they siphoned off for themselves. Because what would happen is Rome set the tax level, but it wasn't always announced. So the people didn't know what the true tax level was. And these guys would add a percentage to that and tell people, well, here's what Rome wants. But everybody knew that they were adding to it, that they were adding fat to it for themselves. And so they not only represented Rome, which, which people in Israel hated, but they extorted money from their own people to enrich themselves. And that's why back in chapter 3, when some of the tax collectors who came to John the Baptist to be baptized by him, you might recall, but they asked him what they must do, what, what the work of repentance would be, what would be evidence of their repentance. And John simply told them, he didn't say stop being tax collectors, but what he said to them is collect no more than what is appointed for you. You know, <laughs> I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and I didn't think about this connection until just now. And I don't know that it's necessarily there, but I definitely would not rule it out. Have you ever thought about whether or not Matthew might have been among those who came to be baptized by John at the Jordan, and that he took what John said to heart? That he took what John said to heart. He didn't stop being a tax collector, but he was no longer ripping the people off in the process. And, and John, again, didn't command them to stop being tax collectors. He just told them to be honest. And maybe Matthew at this point is an honest tax collector, still hated by his people because they don't know he's being honest and they don't know you know, all of the things. All they know is he bought his position and he's, he's loyal to Rome in this. So we don't know, but it could very well be the case that Matthew's journey began with this interaction with John the Baptist. And now Jesus is showing up on the scene to finish what started in Matthew's heart already. And maybe this is why Jesus is specifically seeking him out. Just a thought. You know, I think back to my own faith in Christ. It, it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> It happened through a series of events and people reaching into my life, even though I didn't realize it. God was already preparing me for my encounter with Jesus. He was preparing me long before I professed faith in him. And maybe that's the case here. But regardless, it is Matthew, it is Levi that Luke tells us that Jesus now engages. And he most likely was passing by and, and he saw his booth as he traveled on one of the main thoroughfares, which is where tax collectors would typically set up shop. They'd have a booth. They'd set it up along a main traffic route, and, and they would tax everything that passed along that road. The material goods, the animals, the carts that were being used to transport the people, the materials in the carts, and even, yes, this is true, even the wheels on the carts would be subject to tax. And not only that, while they were taxing, all the while they were being supported by and backed by a contingent of Roman soldiers to help enforce these collections. So you can understand why these guys were hated so much. 
But Luke tells us that as Jesus sees Matthew, he heads straight to him, and, and, and he issues an invitation that's going to change Matthew's life forever. And that invitation is a simple one. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I just love the simplicity of Jesus' invitation. Simplicity. It's simple. It's clear. It's easy. I think about this. Unlike the religionists of the day then, and, and even like religionists now, today, Jesus doesn't precede this offer with, with some lengthy or detailed list of things that Matthew needed to do in order to follow him. He didn't walk up to him and say, Matthew, I'd like you to follow me, but before you do that, you're going to need to do the following things. These rituals, these spiritual requirements, uh, the special prayer of acceptance of me to follow me. No, there's no expectations of Matthew in this regard. There's no expectations of Matthew even cleaning himself up and setting things in order in his life first. Nothing is needed to do to make himself worthy of following Jesus in this moment. This offer is simple. It's clear. It comes without any other requirements placed on it other than to follow me. That's all he says, follow me. This would have never been something these religious leaders of Jesus' day would have done. First of all, they would have had little interest in Matthew, given his impurity. They would have had little interest in Matthew. They wouldn't have stopped at Matthew's tax booth. He's a tax collector. He was a sinful man, a tax collector by profession. Uh, He was a carnal Jew, which would have been typical of tax collectors of the day to live carnally. There was nothing about Matthew that would have made him worthy of being a disciple of these religious leaders of the day. In fact, in their eyes, he would have been a spiritual reprobate with little or no potential use by God. They would have even equated him with the heathens, which is how they viewed tax collectors. Jesus made that view clear as he made reference to that very thing in his address on how we're to deal with an offended brother in Matthew 18. Listen to what he says, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to to hear them, tell it to the church. But listen, now listen here. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now look, I'm not expositing on that whole passage and what all that means. Actually, we're going to come to that shortly, probably next week. But But here, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus' reference he just made, like a heathen and a tax collector. It wasn't that Jesus was personally equating tax collectors with heathens, but he's simply phrasing this this way you treat somebody who's unrepentant and they're not going to respond to things, to treat them in a way that the the people already knew, uh, especially the self-righteous people of the day. Because they saw sinful people like this. They saw tax collectors like being equal to heathens and that they're all in the same boat and they're just sinfully corrupted people, you see. And so this being the case, the religious leaders in Israel would have wasted zero time on Matthew because they would have seen him this way. But not Jesus. Jesus makes Matthew his focus. Second, Even if they would have reached out to him, they would have levied all sorts of expectations upon him before inviting him to come be a disciple of theirs, right? He would have had to go through every 
cleansing ritual conceivable and then, then do all sorts of righteous acts, engaging in all kinds of penitent works just to prove the sincerity of his repentance and to show the effectiveness of the self-cleansing process that he's gone through personally in order to follow them. And, and maybe then, and only maybe then, would he have been considered worthy enough to be extended an invitation to be one of their disciples? But not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Folks, you can only imagine how stunned and how overwhelmed Matthew had to be by this invitation that Jesus is making to him in this moment. I mean, Jesus' reputation as a great teacher and as a great, really growing as a great prophet of God has been growing throughout the land. And Matthew would have known that. He's heard about Jesus, most certainly. And now here comes this great teacher, this, this great prophet of God, taking note of him and stopping at his tax booth. A good Jew wouldn't do that, but he's stopping at his tax booth and then making the simple invitation to follow him. <laughs> to him, a tax collector, a, a man considered to be a traitor by his own people, a social and spiritual outcast, now simply being invited to come and follow him, to become his disciple without any spiritual prerequisites of any sort being inserted into that invitation. Just a simple invite. Follow me follow me. And even more than this, this offer would have meant a way out of the life that Matthew would have been living for so long, a life of dishonesty, a life of shame, a life of isolation. I mean, even from his own family, most likely. Matthew's head had to be spinning and his heart had to be exploding in this moment. It's clear that it was because he does not hesitate to respond to Jesus's invitation. He doesn't say, well, let me think about it for a minute. And Luke tells us that he immediately, he left all, rose up and followed him. Now, to fully appreciate Matthew's response, you have to understand something about discipleship in that day. The, the concept of discipleship, as I've already alluded to, it wasn't new it was common for the rabbis, for the teachers, even for the Pharisees and the scribes to, to invite people to become their disciples. But in many cases, discipleship was a part-time enterprise. <laughs> you did it part-time. You, you, those who came became disciples maintained their work in their chosen profession, but they would sit as disciples during their off hours and in their spare time. But here, it's clear from Matthew's response that this is not the kind of discipleship that he's signing up for. Luke tells us that he left all and followed Jesus. He left all and followed Jesus. And that means that, that Matthew dropped everything that he was doing, left his booth, and just headed off with Jesus, never intending to return again. And, and why wouldn't he commit himself so fully? I mean, think about this. Why wouldn't he do this? After all, Jesus just did the unexpected. He just did the unexpected. He offered him a way out of his, his present miserable life to a new life, to, to a clean slate, to a new start. Look, I can't speak for any of you. I can't do that, but I was so blessed going through this passage and preparing it this week because I relate to this. I understand this. I, I know what it had to have been for Matthew in this moment because I've experienced this myself. I, not that I was a tax collector in, in the sense of being part of a corrupt 
you know, profession or anything like that. But, but I do understand what it's like to be a social outcast. I do understand what it is to be a loner. I do understand what it is to be a person not well regarded by my peers, never having had many friends in my life, being unable to meet up to the expectations of so many people, living under the expectations, like living under a weight that's just waiting to crush me. At one point in my young life, and I'm serious about this, I seriously contemplated suicide. But then one day, Jesus came along, and he stopped at the booth of my life. He stopped at the booth of my life, and he, and he, didn't, he didn't seem to care about, you know, all the things that the world cared about. He didn't seem to see me the way the world saw me, but he clearly knew that I existed and that I mattered. And he reached out to me where I was and and made this simple invitation that he made to Matthew so long ago. Follow me. Follow me. I heard those words in my head and in my heart over and over and over saying, follow me. With every scripture that people were sharing with me from the good news of the gospel, I heard that simple invitation being extended by Jesus, follow me. And though I didn't leave the tent of my profession behind since I was in the army, that would have gotten me court-martialed and thrown in jail as a deserter. But I did leave all. I left all nonetheless. I left all and I rose up and I followed him and I've been following him ever since. Not as a part-time follower, but as a full-time devoted disciple. And in so doing, I found in Jesus a new start on life, a clean slate, a completely clean slate. I found that it no longer mattered who I was or what I'd done before I, I left and, and started following him. I, it no longer mattered what others had thought of me or even were thinking of me. All that mattered is what I meant to Jesus and, and, and what I became through my relationship with him as I followed him and became his disciple. I found in Jesus Christ an unconditional acceptance that I had never experienced in my life before. And maybe the closest I've come to understanding is through the unconditional acceptance and love that I have experienced through through being an adopted child. I was adopted when I was only a day old. Actually, the formal adoption occurred when I was three days old. But but it was already preset that I would be adopted. And and I got to tell you, that's the closest I can understand this in a faint and shadowy way because, you know, I and I'm not slurring my biological parents. I'm learning more about them in the last couple of weeks, and it's been pretty fascinating. I I never knew them as a child. I just knew that they didn't want me. They did not want me. May have been good reasons for it, but they did not want me. And so they put me up for adoption, and this family adopted me that I didn't know. I would, they, they had no biological connection to me, and yet they accepted me, and they brought me into their family, and they loved me as though I were their own. And I know that that pales in comparison but it's the closest I can come to explaining what Jesus has done for me. He has adopted me in. He's adopted you, and if you've placed your faith in him, he's taken you out of a world that could care less about you. And he said, you can be mine. Follow me. You don't need to be a tax collector 
to get this. What Jesus offered to Matthew, he continues to offer to everyone still today. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are or what you have been or what you have done. He simply extends this invitation to leave it all behind and to simply come and follow him. Jesus says, follow me. And that is the greatest life-changing offer available to any man or, or woman on this planet. There are no prerequisites to follow other than to accept that offer and to make him the one that you follow by faith. And then simply to follow him moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year, and watch what he does with your life in the process. Watch this, how he changes things. He will give you acceptance. He will give you fellowship. He will give you friendship. And he will change you, change both your way of thinking and living in a way you could never, ever have changed yourself or even imagined possible. He'll transform you from a tax collector to a child of the living God. You might not see it while it's happening, but from time to time, you'll look back and you'll realize how much he's changed you and how far he's brought you. I personally responded to that offer some 45 years ago while serving as a young soldier in the army, and I am still following him all of these years later because I have come to know the value of that simple offer that Jesus has made and that he made to Matthew so long ago. Follow me. And so off goes Matthew as he accepts this simple offer to follow Jesus in his life, well, it's never going to be the same from this point forward. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.